Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to 2420, our ongoing series with Kurt Robbins, who knows so much about cannabis that it's more than I ever forgot. This week, we're talking about the endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome. We all have an endocannabinoid system, and it's not well known, but you can be deficient in cannabinoids, and you can supplement what your body creates with phytocannabinoids. So we're going to dive into that. We go a little longer than 20 minutes, but I, I don't like to stop Kurt when he's on a roll. So enjoy the episode, and we'll see you back here soon. Welcome to 2420, the bite-sized educational podcast from Cannaboom. And Kurt Robbins, author of more than 500 articles about the science of hemp and cannabis. We're giving 20 cannabis topics 20 minutes each to help you get smarter about terpenes, cannabinoids, cultivars, and much, much more. And our show starts now. Hey, it's Tom. We're back with 2420, and this is episode nine already. Hey, Kurt, how are you? Hey, Tom, how are you? Really good, thank you. We're going to dive into the endocannabinoid system today, which is super interesting. There's been some research around it that I know you are up on and I know our listeners will be interested in. All right. Well, I figured we'd take just a couple minutes first to talk about a recent consumer survey that was conducted by a company called Oasis Intelligence in Los Angeles. And uh, really, it's one, it's very fresh information. The survey was conducted in the uh, between September and December of 2019. And even more important than the freshness of the data is the fact that it was very thorough. They uh, surveyed respondents in all 50 U.S. states, including the District of Columbia, and they got some very interesting information back. Now, here on 2420, we're trying to educate listeners about the science, you know, and the biochemistry and the overall medicinal efficacy of molecules like flavonoids and cannabinoids and terpenes. And if we somehow consume a plant like hemp, how that might help our health and well-being. Well, uh, the Oasis Intelligence Survey found that 75% of their respondents had no clue what terms like terpenes, endocannabinoid system, and entourage effect mean. That's a large gulf of misunderstanding. <laughs> Right. And I, this really, I mean, I'm not overjoyed to hear that. I'd rather hear that, you know, 90% of consumers understand what those things mean, but I, I don't really put the burden on the consumer. I put it on us as industry professionals and we call ourselves educators and, you know, we propagate valuable information. Um, this tells me that we've got a lot of work ahead of us, but, uh, you know, given what we do for a living, that uh, we got a lot of job security. Let's put it that way. <laughs> sure. And what you're so good at is kind of breaking that down into the, the bite-sized chunks, that, and that's why we're doing this, like you said. So I know you've thought about this, and you've got the important takeaways for our listeners, so I'll, I'll let you run again. Sure. Um, so I, you know, I would encourage listeners to check out the show notes for this episode and to, uh, I've written uh, a summary article about the survey, but the survey itself is very consumer friendly. It's brief. Uh, they lay it out very nicely. Uh, Oasis Intelligence does on their website. So uh, instead of taking more time here, because we want to get into talking about clinical endocannabinoid 
deficiency syndrome, uh, I would uh, recommend listeners definitely check out that summary article. Uh, and it's it's very revealing, you know, about what are people uh, learning about how cannabis and hemp products help their health and uh, where they're getting their information. It's not from bud tenders. They don't they don't get their information from bud tenders, says this survey. So there's probably some hearsay going on. There's some rumors, and then sometimes there's good information being passed too. That's, that's very true. Well, uh, the survey found that the number one source of information helping cannabis consumers or would-be consumers make purchasing decisions and decide how they want to integrate it into their lifestyles and, you know, their wellness regime was friends. So friends are sometimes an excellent source of information, but not necessarily. So that's really their, you know, the number one source is not uh, you and me. It's not Leafly. Uh, It's not scientific research studies. It's people, and this makes total sense, you know, getting together for coffee or going to temple or church and saying, hey, you know, I saw this CBD ad in this magazine. I'm thinking about checking it out. And then something comes out of the other person's mouth, right? That is where the majority of cannabis consumers are getting their information that they use to make hard purchasing decisions. Right. Your peer group. I mean, you're always trying to level up who you're hanging out with. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, interesting stuff. But uh, it's a quick read and I would encourage uh, readers to, uh, to check it out. Real fresh information right now. Cool. Let's talk a little about this thing called endocannabinoid deficiency. Now, we've talked a lot about the endocannabinoid system or the ECS uh, on this show in the past. And uh, just a little recap, it is a system of uh, what we think is probably millions of microscopic uh, cellular receptors. And uh, they bind with uh, particular molecules uh, now, and they're called cannabinoids. And there are endocannabinoids produced by the human body, and there are phytocannabinoids, and those come from plants like uh, hemp and cannabis. Well, back in 2001, a neurologist and uh, doctor who specializes in research in California named uh, Dr. Ethan Russo, uh, he began theorizing that a deficiency in the uh, cannabinoids that bind with these specialized receptors in the endocannabinoid system, almost like a vitamin deficiency, you know, you're going to get scurvy if you don't get enough vitamin C type of thing, Uh, and that such a deficiency in the endocannabinoid system was leading to uh, specific disease states. And he, in a study in 2004, he, he coined the term and just kind of brushed on it a little in a 2001 study called Hemp for Headache, uh, in which uh, he researched further in 2004 in another study. And he actually said that, you know, we have particular uh, diseases that he believes are the result of a deficiency in the endocannabinoid system. In other words, we're not producing enough of our uh, own endocannabinoids or we're not getting enough supplementation through plants like hemp with their phytocannabinoids. And let's talk a little about the diseases that he thinks are uh, the result of this deficiency. Now, to be clear, this is a theory. And it goes by a few different names, so it gets a little confusing for listeners sometimes. Um, I and most writers typically call it endocannabinoid deficiency 
or endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome or deficiency theory, and it is formally a theory. We have mounting evidence and proof of it, but it is still officially a theory. Well, Russo and others who uh, believe in and are doing active research on this theory believe that conditions like migraine headache, fibromyalgia, and irritable bowel syndrome, and other forms of that like Crohn's disease and colitis that are very closely related, that those are the result of a deficiency in the ECS, and that by both increasing our internal production of endocannabinoids and also supplementing our ECS with uh, the phytocannabinoids from hemp and cannabis can uh, literally effectively treat some of these diseases. And one thing all of these diseases have in common is that they are typically treatment resistant uh, through conventional means like standard therapies like drugs and such. Right. I mean, some of those that you mentioned, migraines and fibromyalgia, I mean, for a long time, doctors had no idea what to do with those. They didn't even know how to diagnose them in some cases. Exactly. And Russo, even in his papers, talks about how uh, people, patients suffering these conditions, uh, often are told it's all in your head, that it's labeled psychosomatic uh, because they can't see a direct chemical mechanism responsible for it. They use conventional drugs that work for other conditions where we sometimes see spectacular results uh, and they don't see those results here. And so it's unfortunate that sometimes patients are, are labeled crazy. Uh, you know, throughout the history of these diseases. So it's really nice that in the 90s, we, you know, early 90s, we discovered the endocannabinoid system. And you see right after the turn of the century in 2001, and then uh, again, in the more robust research paper in 2004, Russo really made us all aware of this mechanism. And uh, again, you know, we need more research. I don't want listeners to uh, their takeaway to be that this is, you know, etched in stone. But we have enough evidence that it, it's very promising. In fact, um, Russo published another study in 2016, and uh, the full text of that is available online. Uh, the 2004 study, only a synopsis, and you got to go behind a paywall and such to get the, the full text. But uh, he makes very clear in the two 2016 study that what differentiates it from the 2004 study is the research evidence that has been gathered uh, in the years since 2004. Uh, and he gives some very compelling uh, evidence for why this theory might be rooted in reality. Our knowledge continues to build we always talk about the context of 100 years of prohibition where there was a lot of misinformation put out, but we know that cannabis was sort of a folk medicine before all this, right? Exactly. In fact, Russo points out that uh, the period between 1843 and 1943, which we know is right after 1937 when we got federal prohibition of hemp and cannabis, and it kind of took a while to you know get pulled out of all the medical indexes and you know there, there was a bit of a lag, especially back then. But uh, in both Europe and North America, hemp extracts, which obviously we know contain quite a bit of CBD, even though they weren't talking about it back then, they weren't aware of that part of it, that mechanization. Uh, they were what he called a mainstay treatment for migraine in half the world for a century. 
So, you know, we, we didn't have the, the modern science and research tools back then that we have now, but there had to be a reason if half the world's doctors for a century, I don't know, the doctors I know, if something doesn't work, they don't use it for a year, let alone a century. Right. Something you said there, I don't think we are at a point where we can talk about cultivars or, or even specific cannabinoids. I mean, are we talking about CBD or the whole entourage effect or do we know that yet? Well, the, let's talk about a little of the products. The, they were typically liquid tinctures. Uh, that were employed, you know, in the century uh, before prohibition hit, what some writers have called the golden age of medical marijuana. Um, and so it was typically a whole plant extract from hemp. So in other words, it contained little or almost no what we call trace amounts of THC, not enough to experience a psychotropic effect. So people were able to give this to their children and uh, hemp tinctures or cannabis sativa tinctures, as they were sometimes called, were produced by all the major pharmaceutical companies uh, in the late 19th and early 20th century. And the only reason they stopped was because the federal government in 1937 said, you can't do that anymore. Okay. That's super interesting. And, you know, now we have electron microscopes and all, all the it, right. the science that we can really look at. It doesn't have to be a, a folk medicine so we can validate it and really begin to understand that, yeah, your body needs some of these compounds. Right. And Russo, uh, he identified conditions beyond migraine, fibromyalgia, and, and IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, in his 2016 study, he also identified con common conditions like glaucoma, cystic fibrosis, uh, phantom limb pain uh, suffered by some of our veterans, uh, PTSD, and bipolar disorder. So when you think about all of these conditions combined, there are millions of sufferers of, of these diseases and conditions just in the United States, let alone globally. Uh, so if either increasing the body's production of endocannabinoids like anandamide and 2-AG is one way of dealing, you know, lessening the suffering of uh, people who have these diseases and conditions, but we also now have legal uh, cannabis and we have legal hemp at the federal level since December 2018 and more limited uh, since 2014. So we've got a few years into the hemp infrastructure. Um, and the reason I mention that is uh, we're always talking about, hey, go out and get this great cannabis product. It's wonderful. Well, only 11 of 50 states here in the U.S. have adult use legalization. So I, I hate sending messages like that. Sometimes I cringe because I know the majority of my listening audience or readers uh, simply cannot act on the advice that I'm giving them, right? They might not live in Denver or LA or Portland or Vegas where they can just drive down to the local dispensary and, you know, experiment. Uh, so that's, that's one big problem. But uh, if we can sufficiently supplement the endocannabinoid system with uh, hemp products, now there's value in THC that comes with the cannabis products, but it's just one cannabinoid of uh, hundreds, right? And then you get the terpenes and then you get the flavonoids and they have similar efficacy in terms of anti-inflammation, antibacterial, antiviral. It's the list goes uh, on and on. It's why some people don't believe uh, what we're saying here because they think it's too good to be true. One of the takeaways you're getting to is you, you can get relief without getting high and you can get CBD 
anywhere in the country, I think. Absolutely. And even though we didn't call it CBD, in 1855, we were putting CBD into people's bodies. It was just called a, a cannabis tincture. Uh, and there was nothing recreational about it, right? It was like taking aspirin. It's like, oh, mom, do I have to? Yeah, you take your medicine, kid. And uh, that's how we were distributing molecules like CBD and CBG and all these terpenes that we talk about. Wow. And then it became just the best kept secret. And as you say, it's still not well known when you when you look at recent surveys where, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of people just aren't aware of this yet. Exactly. And like you alluded to before, we now have modern technology that helps us a great deal, you know, stuff they didn't have uh, in the late 19th century. Uh, and in fact, in Russo's 2016 study, when he says, look, we can make a little more credible argument for this endocannabinoid deficiency theory now because of the research that we've gathered since 2004. And uh, like one of those uh, technologies was analyzing the cerebrospinal fluid for anandamide levels. And so they found levels that corresponded to migraine uh, episodes. And so that's given us a great deal of insight there. Um, they have also, uh, we have advanced imaging technology now for, for doing scanning, right, of brain uh, tissue and other organs. And that's been extremely helpful in uh, giving us hard research for showing the benefit of these uh, molecules like cannabinoids for PTSD. When we talk about the endocannabinoid system, of course, endo means endogenous, and we can create these substances in our own bodies, but then there's phytoremediation, right? Right. There's there's a lot of, uh, you know, just because it's produced in our body, is there uptake and binding with the receptors? And is there already a different molecule in the receptor? So the anandamide has no place to go. And, uh, and then we get into issues of receptors being active or at rest is something we haven't even talked about on this show, right? Uh, I recently interviewed a real smart doctor in New Mexico, and so we'll talk about that in a future uh, episode. But I think the the point we're getting to here, and Russo cites this in his 2016 study also, uh, is that exercise is good for all of these conditions as long as one is healthy enough to engage in exercise in the first place, right? Um, you know, it's really easy to say, go exercise and produce some anandamide, but if you're in a wheelchair, that might be a bit of a challenge. So, uh, so you know, there are some issues here, but if we just want to send a simple takeaway, if you exercise to produce more anandamide, anandamide is good for uh, anxiety, depression, and all of these other conditions we're talking about, migraine sufferers, fibromyalgia, PTSD, bipolar disorder, et cetera, again, under this theory from Russo. You know, we've said it before, diet, exercise, and sleep are really kind of the foundations of, of good health. And cannabis can help you sleep better. It can help you, now it seems, um, remediate or supplement some of the things you might be missing if you're not getting enough exercise. I mean, you should still get out there, but it's all tied together, right? Exactly. If we can get the right molecules binding with those microscopic receptors in our body's ECS, um, 
you know, we just need to get them in there one way or another is one way of looking at it. So if you produce your own anandamide because you're a marathon runner, hey, that's great. Maybe, you know, you got bad joints and you can't go do that. Uh, might be so bad you can't even ride a bike due to respiratory uh, conditions or motor uh, limitations, in which case, okay, well, we can we can give you a hemp or a cannabis product and get those same molecules uh, uh, into your body. This is, without going too deep on it, this is a good point to say that molecules like THC and CBD have been called by scientists mimetic in that they mimic endocannabinoids. So phytocannabinoids from plants like hemp are mimetic in nature. And what do they mimic? They mimic the endocannabinoids. In fact, scientists have shown a direct correlation. They're saying that, and it's rather theoretical in some respects, just because one scientist or a few scientists say it doesn't make it fact, right? Everything's got to be thoroughly peer-reviewed, replicated, replicated, replicated. But they're saying THC is mimetic to anandamide and CBD is mimetic to 2-AG, the other endocannabinoid. Okay, 2-AG. I'm seeing more kind of microdosing products on the market. And you talk about cannabis as almost a, a daily vitamin, a supplement. Right. Do you see a trend that way as we look to the future? Is this, um, as people begin to understand that they may want to supplement their endocannabinoid system, do you see them taking a, a daily uh, microdose or something? I think that's a great approach to it. In fact, microdosing for a lot of different reasons we don't have time to talk about in this particular episode is a very intelligent approach to the issue, in my opinion, for both cannabis and hemp and also uh, psychedelic drugs, which have totally different mechanisms. And that's not really what we're talking about here. But if we are to address microdosing, it, I think it's going to be a very powerful therapeutic approach. Uh, for all of uh, the psychedelic drugs and also for hemp and cannabis. I think you may have identified uh, one of our future episodes. There's there's <laughs> a, a lot to talk about there. Uh, the psychedelics market is firing up. Lots of money is being in invested. In fact, uh, more than $150 million has been invested in for-profit psychedelic companies in the countries of Germany, the UK, Canada, and the US since January 1st of 2020. So in basically six months, 150 million has gone into it. So yeah, we got plenty to talk about with psychedelics if you want to. Well, I guess you'd say what a trip. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be. Is there anything else we should cover on the endocannabinoid deficiency that we haven't talked about? I think it's really just a good opportunity for patients and consumers to uh, do a little introspection and think about their lifestyle, right? Because as we've said here, and I'm glad you always point out, you take a holistic approach, Tom, and this is about diet, this is about exercise, this is about good sleep. All the smart uh, trainers and, uh, and, and people who are into performance enhancement, you know, hacking, biohacking your endocannabinoid system in your body uh, say that, boy, if you start getting poor sleep, everything else goes to hell, quite honestly, that that is the central pivot point. It is the genesis of good health. So uh, yeah, if you can take a molecule like CBD or THC or some sort of uh, uh, extract uh, from hemp or cannabis and it can help you sleep, that alone is a really, really big deal, but only part of the picture, obviously. When we get down to it, it's always, we're kind of focused on wellness here and cannabis can be a cornerstone of your wellness in the ways that you describe. So thank you, Kurt. 
You you bet. I just don't want anybody thinking that, you know, listen to a hip hop song, smoke two joints and instantly, you know, your cancer goes away. This is this is a holistic approach and it needs to involve sleep, uh, diet and exercise and merely consuming cannabis and hemp is not the whole solution by far. <laughs> you got to you got to get out there and yeah, <laughs> you got to hop on the bike or hike up the yep. hill or get, jump in the pool or something. Yeah, you got to challenge yourself and and I'm sorry, you know, the people who don't like to do that, I'm sorry for the bad news, but that's really what we're finding and that's what researchers like uh Ethan Russo have have been teaching us for a while now though. So, I will encourage listeners to uh to look at those two studies in the show notes, especially the 2016 study. Russo is nice and that he really does want to help patients and and educate people it seems so he tends to to uh write his research studies uh and with a little more of a layperson tone um they're not so buried in science that you can't comprehend them oh good he makes it accessible we will definitely link to that in the show notes and uh get that out there well hey it's been great talking to you tom thanks so much kurt see you next time thank you You've been listening to 2420, a special edition podcast series from Cannaboom and Kurt Robbins. Want to learn more and help grow the cannabis movement? Spread the word and follow us on your favorite podcast platform or at Cannaboom.com.